So we've been on this journey called Unstoppable. By the way, if you have your little Unstoppable with you, you will notice that um, coming up, we're reading through verse or chapters 13 to 15. If you don't have one of those unstoppable cards, they're at the, um, at the info desk at the back. It's just a simple way to help you read through the book of Acts with us. And uh, we've broken it up into three chapters a week. So really, this week is chapter 13, 14, and 15. And we've been on this journey for the last uh, four weeks now. We've looked at how God has managed through people in the book of Acts to let the gospel, the good news of Jesus, be unstoppable. Nothing could stop it. We saw that, firstly, persecution and persecuting the Christians, they believe, couldn't stop it and never did. We saw that discrimination against people and, and, and languages and people of different races couldn't stop it in the book of Acts. We last week saw that even the geographical boundaries that, that were in existence at the time of the known world then couldn't stop it. The gospel continued to spread. And this morning, I want to talk to you about the fact that even humans in particular efforts that they made couldn't stop it. And so hence this morning, the, the topic is unstoppable or unstopped by human effort. Human that were intentionally trying various other ways to stop it, didn't succeed. Because God, because God was at work. And so I just want to say this, that whatever God intends to do, nothing will stop it. Want to listen to that again? Whatever God wants to do, nothing will stop it. Whatever God wants to accomplish in your life, please don't stop it. God wants to perform a massive work in your life and in my life and through us. But you know what? Whatever God intends in this world, if you stop it, God will use somebody else. We see that. If we become resistant to the work of God in our country and wherever in our home, God will use somebody else to come in because His work needs to carry on. And sometimes, may I say this, this is kind of like shooting from the hip right now, okay? You ready? We had a lot of ladies come up this morning and just shared stories. And that's wonderful. We had Sean, which I'm so proud of, Sean. A male come up. Most often in church, when people say yes, it's firstly the ladies who do that. So it's not a moment where the men say amen. It's not a great place. So we had a moment where the, men, where the ladies said amen. But see, that's what happens because us as men, we often, we're too proud to say yes. We're too proud to step ahead. We let somebody else do it. Because it's their stuff. It's, the, it's for the women. No, no, it's for all of us. And God calls, particularly the men, to lead in certain ways. doesn't make men more important than women. But God has a calling on men to lead and to fulfill certain roles and functions in this world. And that's why, for instance, this, this rubbish, terrible, evil thing called pornography is, is stopping men from being what they're supposed to be in this world, and in marriages, and in life. Because we get this false sense of, of, of identity from that, and fulfillment. It's false, guys. 
And so when God wants to do a work, don't stop, don't stand in the way of that. Let's humble ourselves, men particularly, and say, God, please do a work in me. Is that okay? Something to think about. And so I want to look at, at the life of Paul a bit as we consider this thing of, of the gospel is not stopped even by human effort. And so Paul, this amazing man, won't you turn with me to the book of Acts, obviously, and to chapter 26. We're going to, stop, we're going to start at the back a bit this morning and work our way uh, from the middle again. You all good still? All right. Acts chapter 26. I want to just show you what made Paul do what he did. And look at what he actually did a little bit later. But Paul had this incredible motivation to make him do what he did. And actually asks, answers the life. Why, Paul? Why do all of this? Why go through all of these things? Why, why, why? And Paul's why is answered here. He's speaking to a king called Agrippa in uh, chapter 26. And he talks about the fact that he, he became a follower of Jesus in a specific way. And we're not going to look into all of those. And so in verse um, 12, he talks about this. and says, in this connection, our journey to Damascus. And he just relays the story of what happened when he was on his way. To and how Jesus spoke to him and said, Paul, he was called Saul at that time. Saul, why, why are you doing this? Why are you killing believers for their faith in me? Because that was what Saul was doing. And so he relates the story. And in verse 15 or 16, it says, Jesus was saying to him, Why are you persecuting me? I'm, I'm the one speaking to you. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. So listen to the purpose that Jesus gives to, to Paul. He says, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to have you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you. So he's giving Paul a new identity. Listen to verse 18. Jesus is saying, This is what I've called you to. And Paul, years later, is testifying to this king, why he does what he does. He says, verse 18, to open their eyes, the eyes of the Gentiles, and it was to the Jews as well, we know, so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me, in Jesus. It's amazing. He just quickly summarizes to this king, who have heard of all the, 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 the deeds and the activities of Paul, and they wanted to kill him for it, the Jews wanted to, and he appeared before this king, this king had to kind of like hear him it, and Paul gives reason for the why. May I read to you another one in 1 Corinthians, if you can just go a little bit later, when Paul is writing some of this, the letters to the churches, he also, in there, he gives reason to why he does what he does. And why I believe the gospel became stoppable. Because there was something 
in the people like Paul that were so alive and so strong that God used that to make the gospel stop. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 19 reads as follows. For though I am free from all, 1 Corinthians 9 verse 19, For though I am free from all, I have made myself, myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, which are the Gentiles, I became as the law, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. How's that? As a motivation. As Jesus appeared to me, He stopped me in my tracks. I was busy persecuting His church. Paul's saying. But He spoke to me and He gave me a mission. He gave me a purpose for my life. And the purpose was not to fill my life with my own needs, but to look for those amongst me that I could help. And Paul used that strongly in his life to handle whatever obstacle there may come his way. That was the driving force in him. He loved God so much that no matter what it was that he needed to do, to the Jews, to the Gentiles, to the weak, to the poor, no matter what he needed to do, he would do it. Something in his heart that drove him. Question, do I have, as I stand here, as you sit there, do I have a godly motivation in my life to live my life here on earth right now? Do I have a why that wakes me up in the morning that says, this is why I'm still alive. This is why I will go through what I'm going through, whether it's tough or not. This is my why. This is my motivation. And if my motivation is let God be glorified in it, then it's great because then it will be sustained. But if the motivation is I want one day that and, and if only this could happen for me and, and all those things, then where does God fit into that? Paul had a God in his motivation. He said, this is my reason for living. If I were to be challenged to give an account for my purpose to be alive right now, what would my response be? Why are you still alive? And I'm sure you are, isn't it? It's all breathing. Just check on your neighbor. All right? You know, Paul was preaching at times. There was one moment when Paul was preaching, and probably so long that the person right at the back, and uh, there's not a young person at, oh, Mark, you're young enough. Um, a young person like Mark right at the back fell asleep and it was a few stories high and Mark fell out of the window and when he landed at the bottom, he died. Praise God, this is not a two, three story thing and praise God, you don't fall asleep while I preach, hey Mark. <laughs> Point is this, I mean, things happened in Paul's life and, and he went and he prayed for the guy and he, was, and he was raised and he came alive again. Paul had a passion to see people meet God. And it drove him every day. Someone once made this statement. He said, if you aim at nothing, 
you will hit it every time with amazing accuracy. If you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. And that's why we challenge one another this morning is, what are you aiming at? What are you and I aiming at? Why are we still alive? If it's nothing, praise God, you're going to hit it. Every time. But if we make it someone, let the someone determine the something that we ought to be and become in this world and do, there's something that motivates us beyond ourselves, beyond just, with all due respect, retiring one day, beyond just marrying, beyond just having grandchildren, beyond just having your own house, beyond just surviving in Zimbabwe during 2017. There's got to be something bigger. There's got to be. And that something bigger in Paul's life changed the world. And so if we want a change to come to our world, what are we aiming at? Because God would like to use you for your world. And if we aim at God, we aim at someone, and He will sustain us, and He will help us, so that the, the, the goal of our life will be Him. And I'll share with you a little bit more in detail later on. Let's look at Paul's effort. I love this. I just found it so encouraging. By the way, thank you for allowing me to preach. Not that, you know, um, by the way, if you wanted to say, you know, somebody else should preach, you could come with placards and stuff. No, no, we don't want him or whatever. You know, but thank you for being so kind, for allowing me to preach. Because what it does allow me is to prepare and, and read into things that, I, that you often don't normally read into. And I, and I had this journey. And could I go to those maps that, that Paul's journeys help us understand the, the, the motivation that he had in his life? And so, Paul, during, this is about the year... It's out at the bottom here, 48. We know that Jesus lived around about until 33. So this is about 15 years after Jesus had been around. Jesus is resurrected, gone, gone home. And this guy, Paul, gets saved. And Paul, by the way, was from a place up there called Tarsus. Long story, he was on his way to Damascus right here where he got saved. And then about... 14 years after he got saved, God started using him to go and visit different towns. We see that on his first missionary journey, which lasted about two years, he left from there, from Antioch, and he went via Cyprus, and he went into this area here, which is known today as Turkey, and he went to another town called Antioch there, and to Iconium and Lystra, and visited the places there, and Derby, and then came back, and went by this way. That's just the first trip that he went on. The, the next slide is his second missionary trip. This one took about four years. So from here, he, he left from Jerusalem. He went up this way, Antioch, visited some of those churches that he had been to on his first trip, but he went further. He went into this area here, Bithynia. And over there, he had the Macedonian call, we call it. In book of Acts, in about Acts chapter 13 or 12 or somewhere there, he gets this call that God shows him through a man to come across to this area called Macedonia. Today it's called Greece. And there he goes to towns called Philippi, 
uh, Thessalonica and those places and visits the churches there. And he comes down to Antioch, which is over here, comes through the, and goes across to this part of the area, which is where Ephesus and that is, and he comes back to Caesarea. That's his second missionary trip. The third one is um, where he comes, he moves from Antioch, goes across, trips over there, visits a number of churches, some of the same ones there, does a bit of that, comes down again through these parts of the country, comes across the sea, back. And this is where he gets warned. Don't go back to Jerusalem. They're going to kill you. He says, no. God says, he'll be with me. All right? Last slide is where he eventually, in Jerusalem, is where he got arrested. He's now, because he says, I'm a Roman citizen as well. Apart from the fact that I'm a Jew, I want to be heard by Caesar in Rome. So he is eventually taken from Jerusalem via Caesarea. It's about a two-year period there. He goes across, jumps on a boat. He goes right here to Crete. He has a shipwreck situation in Malta and then ends up in Rome. That's Paul's life just in terms of the trips that he had to go through. This is another four or five years of his life. And last session he finished up in Rome and he was on the house arrest. But have a look at this. Paul visited about 50 cities in his lifetime, working for God and seeing people, going to churches. About five zero. It's phenomenal. He traveled, listen to this, by land. He traveled about 14,000 kilometers. By sea, he traveled another 11,000 kilometers. Roundabout. So in total, Paul traveled for about 25,000 kilometers for the sake of the gospel. Why? Because in Acts 26, he says, this is my motivation. This is why I'm alive. Because God has called me a difference in other people's lives. Amazing. We find that during this time, just to kind of help you understand what this guy went through, he faced various opposition along those journeys. People, some people liked him. Some people hated him. Hated him. They desperately wanted to kill him. And you read through, particularly this week, if you're on this, this journey with us, Acts 13, 14, 15, you're going to find that in Acts 13, his first recorded sermon is found. And some people believe, <laughs> and uh, others try to, um, to stop him. And praise the Lord, none of you are stopping me. Thank you very much. You're so kind. In Acts 14, we see in the city of Lystra, remember up here that we saw, he, he gets stoned, and, and he was actually stoned so badly that the people who did it thought he was dead. And then um, his friends came afterwards, and, and the Bible just says, and they, they took him up and they kind of walked away. Like, wow, I've never, some, I've never seen somebody being stoned or the effects of that on someone, but I can imagine a few stones to your head or your body that leaves you pretty scarred. Uh-huh. just gets up and he carries on. In Philippi, up in Greece, on his second trip, he gets jailed for helping a lady who was a fortune teller. <laughs> this woman was caught up in this stuff and, and she was telling everybody's fortune, which is just a lot of rubbish. And so he preaches the gospel, she gets saved, and she's no longer involved in this stuff. And the, the owners of this lady, who got a lot of money from her, as upset. They, they, they reckon, no, this is not fair. Our money, our income is gone now. 
And so they have Paul arrested for that. When in Thessalonica, um, the religious people became very jealous of what he was preaching because they feared the loss of their income. And so they subsequently arranged for a mob to attack Paul and his friends. <laughs> they didn't do it themselves. Let's get somebody else to do our dirty for us. Lovely life. Motivation. I want to carry the good news of Jesus. In the city of Corinth, where he stayed for about 18 months, he had to do physical work now. He was touring around. And, and there's some places that you can actually go and find out how much this, these trips cost him. All right? He, didn't, he couldn't just swipe and do EFTs and stuff. I mean, you go into a ship, you've got to pay. It wasn't passenger ships. It was, it was, was cargo ships that they were on. But they had to contribute. There wasn't nice rooms to sleep in. You had to bring your own food. And so Paul did this for 11,000 kilometers on, on the sea. So yeah, he's in the city of Corinth and he's run out of money. And so he starts working again. He was by trade a tent maker. And, and so he does that again to raise his own support. Amazing. Back in Jerusalem, in Acts 23 now, we find that Paul um, is, is supernaturally, miraculously saved from another mob trying to attack him. And his sister's son, his nephew, informs him of, of, a, of a plot that was, that was planned to, to have him killed. And, and God sends this boy to overhear a story. He goes to Paul. He says, listen, buddy, um, or uncle, um, uncle Paul, <laughs> by the way, this story, they're going to kill you if they take you out of to this place, there's, there are going to be people waiting there for you. And so God's intelligence is much better than our intelligence could ever be. He's intelligence services. And so Paul warns the Roman soldiers, uh, the army, that, hey, listen, guys, you better know there's something planned against me to kill me. And God saves them. So opposition from all over. <laughs> but we clearly see that Paul never stopped his pursuit of what he talks about in Acts 26. There's a, there's a psychiatrist called Carl Menninger from the States that lived uh, from the late 1800s until 1950, something like that. He once gave a lecture on mental health, and he was answering questions from the audience. And one question was asked, what would you advise a person to do if that person felt a nervous breakdown imminent coming on? All right, so I can feel there's a nervous breakdown coming. What should I do, sir? Asking a psychiatrist. Most people in the audience expected him to answer, consult a psychiatrist. I mean, come on. We're talking about psychiatry here. And uh, to their astonishment, he replied, lock up your house, go across the railway tracks. Don't think what you're thinking. All right. He says, go across the railway tracks, find someone in need, and then do something to help that person. So really what he was saying is, hey, just go and find someone that you can help. And as you help someone else, maybe you get help that way. Somehow Paul seemed to have lived this way. So he said, I, I mean, he had gone through so much, but he continued this mission that God had called him on. So what, what kind of application would be for us today? I mean, there's, there's much more that we can elaborate on regarding the life of Paul. But um, 
What is it that, that, that applies to us? Think about that when I have another. We mentioned earlier that if we aim at nothing, we'll hit it. But if we aim at something, something changes in our lives. And I want to present to you what we should aim at. And I know that we need to aim at God, and, but I want to give you just some practical handles this morning to help us aim. Is that okay? Sounds, I don't know how many of you have ever shot, used a rifle, but you, you, I mean, if you've got to shoot in a specific direction, you can't just be walking freely with a rifle and, and, and hope that you're going to hit the target. You've got to stop, either lie down, aim, or to put the rifle on. And you've got to aim. You've got to, take, you've got to breathe um, in a certain way. You've got to watch that. You've got to, sometimes people like to close one eye. But you've got to be relaxed. You've got to be intentional in aiming. You don't just hit Correct? Right? Correct, buddy. You don't, oh, there's a eland or kudu. Shoot! Where? 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 You've got to stop and obviously. And I feel that as believers, we, we walk around often aimlessly. We, we, try to, we try to be relevant in what God has called us to do. But we don't stop to consider what we should be aiming at and how and, and what it is that Jesus has called us to focus on. We love God, we follow God, we obey God, we love people, we do that. And there are some practical things that often would help us. And I believe that if we stop, for instance, at that, as a church, we, we keep on encouraging one another that we believe we exist to love God and, 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 and you know, know Him and to make Him known, which is really to love God and to love people. That's something that we believe, we as a church, we need to constantly aim at. Why we do what we do? Why do we gather like this? Why do we do the things that we do during the week? Why do we exist as believers? There's got to be a why asked. And we've got to have an answer for it. Oh, it's just nice. It's the right thing to do. No, no. It's got to be a little bit more and deeper. Just as Paul was convinced in Acts 26, we have a similar call on our lives. And Paul said this very clearly when he referred to the Gentiles the non-Jews, he says, this is what I want to do for them. Because God said to me, I need to help them open their eyes, their spiritual eyes. I want to help them turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness and find a place amongst those who are also believers. Give them identity, a sense of belonging. Paul knew that was what he was called to. I summarize it by just one simple word. And that God calls us to make disciples of people. Simply that. Simply that. The reason why we are still here on earth is to obviously love God. To live that out in such a way that we will make disciples of all people. And you don't need a church program to do that. Your life, my friend, is positioned already in such a way that you can do it. You don't need to stop what you physically do during the day and go into what we often call full-time ministry. You are positioned to not make money only, not to for your house, but to make disciples of all people. And let me just use some 
easier words for us to understand this. A disciple is certain, simply just a follower, a person in training, an apprentice, a student. And we have those people everywhere. We ought to be students. We ought to be disciples. And as we receive, we give. And we don't need, as I said earlier, a full-time employment or situation in a church for that. An author called Mark Deaver, I love his book. He writes in this particular book, How to Help Others Follow Jesus, the following. He says, to be human is to be a disciple. To be human is to be a disciple. God didn't present Adam and Eve with a choice between discipleship and obedience, but between following Him and following Satan. Alright? We are all disciples. The only question is, of whom? Who are we following? And are we guiding anybody else? So the question is, who are you and I following? Is it Jesus? Are we aiming at Him? Are we setting Him before us and, and saying, Jesus, I want to know more about You because I want to follow You. If I don't, I'll follow something or somebody else because all humans are disciples. We are made that way. We look at what the world offers us and what people teach us. So oh, I read this this morning. I read that last week. And we are influenced by our world. You are a learner as you sit there. Whatever age it is, there's an influence in your life. And I trust that it's God, mostly. And I trust that the influence that you ought to be will be godly in other people's lives. So much about discipling people is therefore about teaching people. Now, not all of us may be teachers, but we all should teach. And you don't need a full-time employment to be a teacher. But you are someone that should have an influence on others. You should teach them. You go home now. You're going to teach your kids if they're young enough how to sit still around the dining room table when you have your lunch. You're going to teach various things as you just live your life. And you continue to do that whatever age you may be. There is a need for us to teach and keep on teaching. Correct? Because the world needs to be taught. You and I need to be taught. Maybe this is a moment where you are taught, but you can go and teach. This is a moment where we become apprentices and say, God, what is it that you want to teach me? And tomorrow when I read the Bible by myself, I, God, teach me so that I may teach others. That's the motivation that should wake up in the morning, us up in the morning and say, God, if it's 25,000 kilometers that I need to go, I'll go. By the way, did you ever recognize or remember, realize this, that, that during the, the 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, 400 years they were, hey? Often people call it the silent years because there's not much written about it in the Bible. But God wasn't silent. He was, he was not inactive. He was there. He was working. There's one sense, a set of government that comes into place in, in that known world, the Romans. After the Greeks, that a lot of the Persians were around, then the Greeks, and then some independent Jewish leaders. Then the Greeks, Romans came in. And what the Greeks did, they were such incredible people. They brought in systems and structure, and they brought in roads. They built roads. 
but never used to exist. Those roads that the Romans built that were ungodly people, God used the roads so that a man, one of them, many others, man called Paul, could travel 14,000 kilometers by foot to spread the gospel. And Jesus, right at the time when all these roads were built, so that when Jesus leaves and he lets his disciples take over his role, they would have an infrastructure to take the gospel to the world. Now that's providence, isn't it? Just how God, through history, had planned things well in advance, knowing what would be needed. And today we have everything that we need to do what God has called us. We read that from Peter. I encourage you. We want people to know through our discipling, through our influence, through our teaching, through our just mentoring them who God is. You don't need a degree for this stuff. Well, we, we need to let people know why we love God. We need to let people know why we pray to God, why we, why we have a relationship with God, why we read the Bible, why we're part of a church, why we obey Him, etc., etc. Discipleship is a ministry of how, but it's actually more a ministry of why. Why do you do what you do? People ask you, oh, well, you went to a meeting this morning, church gathering. Why do you do that? have a reason to give? Are you aiming at my life is purposed for Him and everything I do needs to glorify Him so that whenever people ask me for a reason of this faith that I have, then I will be ready to give them a reason. All discipling should involve teaching, stopping to tell those over whom we have influence why we believe what we believe and why we live like we live. There's so many practical examples in life. And God, our work environment, our social lives, to help others understand why. That's the focus that our lives ought to have. Is that when we're aiming at Christ, that we could give a reason why we aim at Him. People need to understand that from just the simple lives we live. And so I want to close by just asking, are you being discipled? Are you finding yourself that you're, you're sitting under the influence of God, first of all? And of others. That's why, by the way, we, we do this simple thing called life groups. Where we can learn together. And we don't profess that people who lead the life groups are professional in what they do. We just have people who facilitate those moments of, of interaction and learning together. Folks, it's important to sit and be influenced. Then secondly, I want to ask you, are you helping others? Are you helping your children? Are you helping your spouse? Are you helping people in your, in your social group of just, hey, this is why I believe what I believe. Are you sharing your convictions with them? And simply, first of all, discipleship starts at following Jesus. The question is, are you? Are you a follower of Christ? Are you the one that can say, you know what? 
It's firstly not about people that I listen to. It's about God that I receive from, that I, that I love. And I want to constantly follow Him. And if you do not follow Jesus, that's where discipleship starts. You cannot start by following some other well-known figure and listen to their quotes and their philosophies of life. Firstly, start at following Jesus. And as a friendship and as a group of people in this church, this church we, we love to help people find Jesus and start a relationship with Him. And so if that is your cry today, why don't you come and ask us if we can help you with that? And secondly, if you have started following Jesus and you have walked with Him and you're battling on your own, you need, you need people around you. So why don't you say, please, I need help. Just talk to us. And then thirdly, if God, and I'm sure all of us are, because all of us are in situations where we can be an influence, whether it's two people or 20 people or 200 people or 2,000, you're put in a position where you can be an influence, where you can disciple others. You don't need to know everything because none of us will ever know everything. You've got something to give them, and it's your faith in Jesus. And as Paul was so convinced that he had something to aim at, and it brought him from one challenge to the other, obstacles, no matter what, he remained focused on what God had called him to do. And I pray that as a church, no matter what obstacle we may face, that we will not draw back from pursuing this goal that he has for us. That is to love God, to love people.